blew me off for a bottle of tequila. Tequila's no good for you. Doesn't call, doesn't write. It's not nearly as much fun to wake up to. Hi, I'm Tamsin. Hello, I'm Ayla. And welcome to Scalpels and Tequila. Today we're doing Season 1, Episode 3. So today's episode is called Winning a Battle, Losing the War. A little synopsis on this episode. The competition between interns over patients ensues after the annual unauthorized dead baby bike race causes many injuries. One of the patients from the bike race flirts with Meredith. Derek is jealous. Izzy and Christina have trouble locating the family of a near-brain-dead man, and Christina is very excited with the potential for an organ harvesting surgery. Miranda Bailey gets further insight into the strengths and weaknesses of each of her interns. George is assigned to watch over Dr. Weber's patients for the day, including one of his oldest friends. So in Meredith's opening monologue, she mentions that they live out their lives on the surgical unit, basically every day, all day, and they're together more than they're apart. So that the ways of residency become the ways of life, which is funny, actually, because they are interns. They're not residents yet, but we understand what she's saying. Then she kind of explains the way that this is their life now. So number one, always keep score. Number two, do what you can to outsmart the other guy. Number three, don't make friends with the enemy. And yeah, number four, everything, everything is a competition. And this basically explains the theme of the episode, which it is a very competitive episode because the whole episode revolves around the dead baby bike race and how intense this competition is for everyone who joins it. I mean, as George says into the episode when he's explaining what the dead baby bike race is, he says they only have one rule, no eye gouging, which is hilarious That's, that's literally the threshold is, yeah, you can do whatever you want. Just leave my eyeballs alone. And all they're fighting but, for, all they're racing for is shots of tequila. That's it. Shots of tequila. <laughs> like, and it's not even going to be good tequila. Absolutely it's it's going to be Jose Cuervo from the rail with the crustiest speed pourer you've ever seen. If you're giving away free tequila at a bar, it's not the good tequila. It's the tequila it's that you need good. to get rid of because you're about to take it off the list. I'm going to let you all know on a little secret right now. When you walk into a bar and they have that 12 or $15 cocktail on special, just don't. Just don't. Yes, it might have a fair amount of alcohol in it, but that's only because it's the booze we're trying to give away. We've thrown some shit together this morning and been like, yep, That'll do that. That'll get rid of as much tequila as possible. But it's we have not way good. too much. It's not like tasty. We have way too much stock of this. We need to get through it. We're not selling it fast enough, and we have better stuff coming in. We have new stuff, and we need space. So here's the dog water that none of us want to drink for our knockoffs. Enjoy. <laughs> actually, do you know what we haven't said yet? We haven't actually told everyone that the reason that we called our podcast "Scalpels and Tequila." is obviously because in Grey's Anatomy there are a lot of scalpels and a lot of tequila, but we met bartending. So the idea of us bartending whilst talking a lot about Grey's Anatomy just seemed to make sense. It does. But yeah, this episode starts at 4.30 in the morning, which in my opinion is still a time of night. Yeah, but we're not surgeons. And we just said we met bartending, so we're probably still out. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's what I mean. It is a time of night. But it's like, 
it's we find out so much about the different characters' personalities a lot more in this episode. Like Izzy is up, it is bright and shiny. She has a coffee in hand, and she is waking Meredith up by nagging her about how she should have the bigger room. And I'm like, girl, chill. It is 4.30 in the morning. I love this scene. I love seeing the three of them and their dynamic. And you just know, even though they're not best friends yet, it's very clear that they love each other. They're going to be friends. They're fighting like siblings. I'm on Meredith's side. I would have kicked them the fuck out of my house. (laughs) Every time I'm always really confused why she's limping. And I know it's because she has, there's a tiny brief moment of her tripping, but then she's like limping around the house and they're following her. And I just think the limping is a really weird choice. I don't know why. I just think it's, it's unnecessary. Well, Meredith kind of has a trudge anyway. She trudges. Very over the top, limping down the stairs. Just don't know how she hasn't yelled at either of them yet. Like, I'm just not capable of being silent, hence why we're recording a podcast right now. In terms of what Izzy and George are fighting about, though, about room size, I'm actually on Izzy's side. If she has more clothes, she should have the room with the larger closet. Well, then she should have taken that when they got into the house. Like, But maybe she didn't know and George got there first and now she's like, oh, I have more stuff. Maybe he wants to go out and George's whole thing of reinventing himself is going to go and buy a whole new wardrobe of clothes. I just, just, just suck it up. Like, it's your team, George. I'm team just don't be an asshole in a share house environment. Would you feel different if it wasn't 4.30 in the morning? Oh, yeah, I'd still be in bed. It's currently 11.02 a.m. I have been awake since 7.46 a.m. And previous to right now, it was too early to talk to anyone. So we open on this scene of the three of them in the house and Izzy and George are fighting about rooms. And that is our first little snip of competition, which is kind of what this episode is about. And then we head outside and we see Bailey and Derek walking to work out in the real world. Bailey just completely ignoring Derek. It's like Bailey can smell a trauma a mile away. Bailey's like, shh, doing the classic like hand in face, shut the fuck up that Bailey does. And she's just like, something's happening today. That Ayla would have been doing an hour ago. Correct. <laughs> um, and just standing there and be like, no, something's happening. And She's like a bloodhound. She's like, I can smell it. I can smell the trauma, the incoming trauma. The whirring of bikes, the screaming of pedestrians. And it's dead baby bike race day. Which is one of your favorite episodes. Is that right? It is one of my favorite episodes. I... I really like uh, a lot of our patients in this episode. I really like the actors who play these patients. Um, I don't know why. This is. Um, I also have a a locked vault in the back of my brain of about ten thousand dead baby jokes, which I learned in high school and is still there. And I won't tell any of you them, but my partner has been dealing with me doing nothing but dead baby jokes since I watched this episode. <laughs> I almost said anywho. <laughs> Ella listened to our podcast from last week and was mortified at hearing herself say the word anywho. <laughs> so we propose a new drinking game and that is any time that Ayla says anywho, you are going to need a shot of tequila. <laughs> so then we are in the hospital and we are learning what dead baby bike race day is from all of our interns who are getting ready. Is George the only Seattle local? Well, Meredith is as well. But, yeah, 
Meredith and George. Yeah, so they come in and Weber is very happy with how beautiful his board looks and Bailey just runs through the hospital screaming the dead baby bike race alarm uh, and all of our interns are sent down to the ER and are told just – actually, they're told something very strange. Bailey tells them not to mingle with the ER residents. I think that's really strange too because wouldn't they all be – Look, I'm not a doctor, but wouldn't they all be the same year? Wouldn't they all have studied the same thing? But yeah, I think that that was just a really odd thing to say when we've had years of them working in the ER and being in control of the ER. But, yeah, so that was quite funny. Um, so they're all like – I think it's a funny line. Yeah. Again, it's bringing this idea of competition. This is where the competition really starts. Yeah, so competition again. We see the interns – fighting over the patients that look more surgical, that injuries look worse. So that's fun. So we get we get Christina and Izzy following one patient and Alex and Meredith following another after George ends up being chosen to go and help the chief. So first we meet Alex and Meredith's patient, Viper. A gentleman who comes in with bike spokes poking out of his side. His heart, by the way. But also, I think I've always, you know, looked back and thought, you know, Viper was hot. And then rewatching it now, he's a lot younger than I remember. So a little bit of... Don't age us. Okay. I take it back. (laughs) (laughs) Because I thought exactly the same thing and I hate that. Oh my God, I'm so glad. He's still handsome though to this day. But I think it was just like, I'm a hardcore kid at heart. I, I like metal music and stuff. And and back then, hardcore boys were the epitome of hot. They were real skinny. They wore very skinny jeans. Um, and Viper is a real skinny dude. Now I like him big and thick, but it's just reminiscent of men that I thought were really attractive back then. Yeah, I think that's how I feel. <laughs> I think that's how I feel too. So Alex and Meredith are fighting over Viper and Meredith wants to do everything by the book. She wants to get an ultrasound and everything. And then Alex just throws caution to the wind and starts ripping these bicycle spokes out of his abdomen. And you're like, that that probably wasn't correct. Yeah, he's just showing off. He always just wants to be, I'm quote unquote, like manly and prove his masculinity and his toughness. It's funny that you say that because later on him and Derek have an interaction where Derek says to him, there's always one intern running around trying to show off. And this year, that's you. That's, 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 that's him this episode. Yeah. So Meredith goes in and, and fixes Alex's mistakes and stitches up Viper to which he just falls madly in love with Meredith. And is sitting very close to her face. He's very flirtatious mm-hmm. and very confident. Smooth. And has a very nice accent. <laughs> yeah, please just go watch this and understand why we're so smitten. He's very good. He's very good. Um, but he's like, no, I've got to get back to my bike race. I've got to get back to my bike race. And Gray's going, no, 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 we need to get an abdominal CT. We need to, like, check that nothing is wrong with your insides. And he's like, nah, baby, I gotta go win my bike race. Excuse me, I, I was wondering if you could take these out and sign me up so I could go and win my race. Well, we can't just pull them. Meredith's trying to be professional, but she's a little bit smitten with the attention. They're in one of those private ER rooms where the curtains are sort of half shuttered down. And he stands up to leave and just. What is it with you guys and your need to dirty everything up? I don't know. Hmm. Maybe it's a testosterone, hey? Wraps his hand around the back of her neck, pulls her close and kisses her. And you're like, oomph, camera pans. 
dun, dun, dun. Derek is watching because he's always watching. He always has one eye on She her. said, no, Derek, leave the girl alone. She said no. For everyone listening, no means no, unless you're Derek Shepard. And then no means keep harassing me on a daily basis in my workplace. And then he gets a bit jealous. She calls him out on it. She's like, you're just jealous. I'm not jealous. You only like this because you like the chase. It's all a game to you. Again, competition. Competition. Yeah. And bringing back the game element that we are introduced to. It's all just one. a game to him. And yeah, then we, we get to see what's happening with Izzy and Christina. And I just love the duality between their two characters. They are polar opposites. Yeah. They're like the heart and the brain, you know? And it's so beautiful. Again, we see this kind of nurturing, compassionate characteristics of Izzy because she, their patient is brain dead, but she notices that he has new shoes and a hole in his shirt has been sewn up recently. He belongs to someone. Yeah, it's a really sweet line. I love that all of the characters, all of these interns specifically, um, we're in episode three and they're all willing to break rules. And we've seen all of them break rules to get what they think is justified. How any of these people continued on with their jobs is absolutely beyond me. So Izzy is, she is so compassionate and where she's so concerned about this individual and what it means for them. Um, Basically he's come in and Burke and Derek are looking over him and they've kind of had some, lingo between the two of them and they figure out that the man's brain dead which means that they have to give him six hours to potentially come back and then they can pull the cord but he doesn't have any id on him at all so christina's having a party she thinks that this is just the greatest thing in the world because she might get to do a uh um an organ harvest and that just makes her damn day someone's death makes her day Whereas Izzy's on the other side going, this is absolutely abhorrent that this person won't get to be around the people that they love in their last hours. So they are kind of fighting for the same cause because Christina really needs this patient to stay alive long enough to get consent for organ donation. And Izzy wants his patient to stay alive long enough for the family to see him again. They do have this half an hour left. So this... They rope Burke into it. So Meredith's done with Viper and Christina and Meredith accost Dr. Burke in the bathroom. Is that where we're yeah, up to? Yeah, they accost Burke while he's taking a piss. And I, I love this. We saw it in the last episode as well of Christina and Meredith, like, hiding indoors to harass their uh, their seniors. They did it with Derek with the elevator and now they're, like, popping in and out of the bathroom with Burke. It's really funny seeing these little interns just poking their heads into the bathroom to talk to him. You can tell he's just so shocked. Like, that's never happened to him before. These, like, precocious little interns are getting in his personal space. And he has this really funny line where he says, like, whip one out or close the door. Oh, yeah, either whip it out or close the door. And then Yang just opens it back up, like, you going to help us, Dom? It's very childlike. It's very cute. It's really childlike. We used to do it when we were kids. And my cats do it all the time. It was always when your parents were in the shower that you'd go in for a chat about nothing. I wonder if they knew back then filming these scenes that Christina and Burke were going to get together because sometimes I feel like I can see a little flicker of something in their faces. I agree completely. Um, Well, we can't give away spoilers for the rest of it, but that happens this season. 
But yes, we're not going to give away too I much. I think he's flirting with her more and she's just a bit starstruck and startled. George has been assigned to work with Mackie, which is the chief's one of the chief's oldest and best friends. And Mackie is actually the very first LGBTQI plus character to have been on Grey's Anatomy. Yeah. And what a lovely character this is. He's such a beautiful, older gentleman. I just want to be his friend. I want to have a chat. I want to sit and chat to him about life and ask him all the questions. So he's very flirtatious with George. And at the start, George is like, oh, you're saying some odd things. Okay. I don't really understand. And then he's like, hey, pretty eyes. You're like, oh, and mm-hmm. he mentions to Alex that a patient's flirting with him. And Alex is like, yeah, go get it. He's like, no, he's a man. He's like, yeah, go get it. And then Alex also says, I'm down with the rainbow, <laughs> which I also really, which I also really so like. So George gets this immediate complex of, wait, does everyone think I'm gay? Which actually in real life, TR Knight is gay. Oh, really? Yeah. I didn't know that. So Christina, he's sitting at this desk trying to like, deal with the fact that everyone thinks he's gay and predominantly that Meredith might think he's gay. And he asks Christina exactly that while handing her the files she asked for loaded onto a floppy disk, people. Oh, you can really tell how far we've come when you see a floppy, a floppy disk. disk a for shot. anyone under the age of 25 who might be listening, that's the little save icon on Word. And it holds like two pictures. I remember starting year 10... And we had to, we had to have a USB drive, and a hundred and twenty five megabyte USB drive cost about one hundred and fifty dollars. I remember, yeah, when I was younger, we had floppy disks, and I had to write. I think I would put sticky tape on them and write what classes. You didn't want to. You didn't want to show how old we so were. We're old. We're not that old. Not as old as Mackie, though. Not as old as Mackie. <laughs> <laughs> Him and Weber have been friends for 30 years and it's just this really beautiful little learning curve that George has. There's this, this scene and I didn't really get it at the time where Mackie seems almost offended. And then I realized that George is fully caught on to the fact that this man is a homosexual and Mackie's talking to him and offers him his hand and George refuses it as in like, oh, I couldn't possibly hold your hand or touch you because you're gay. And it just... The fragile masculinity that comes up so much in this show throughout all of the seasons is, yeah, is wild. It's explored a lot, which is really good, a lot more down the track, but this is definitely the start of it. And it's explored a lot in the George character, and we'll talk about that next episode a bit more because it does come up again. So Mackie's waiting on a liver and Christina... Mare and Izzy have accosted George because he's working under the chief. And Burke said the only way that we can do a surgery on your brain dead guy um, to prolong his life, to give his family a chance to be found, is that he would need a surgery. Burke's not willing to do it because the guy's dead and it'd have to come from the chief. So they accost George and say, hey, we have to ask you to do something. And George turns around to Christina and is like, I'm not a child. You don't have to manipulate me. You can just ask me to do something. So she asks him to go over Burke's head to ask the chief. He's like, can you ask me something easier? Oh, George. I wonder, you know how George is so nervous and so awkward? Have you seen that meme going around lately where it's like, 
Did you know that the Winnie the Pooh characters are all based on different mental illnesses? Have you seen that? Oh, it's been going around for a couple of years now. Can you imagine if, like, the five main Grey's Anatomy interns were all based on, like, a different body part or something and George was, like, the nervous system and Christina was the brain and Izzy was the heart? That's all. That's as far as I've got. Mare was the groin. Yeah. What would Alex be? The testicles. You just said groin. The arse? The- I think Meredith would be like the gut, you know, it's always about her like gut instincts and her oh, like going with her. Yeah, and then Alex is the groin. <laughs> well, that was really common in TV shows at that time. Like when you think about Sex and the City, each of the four main characters there represent a stereotype of a woman. So like mm. Miranda mm-hmm. was... The, like, the, intellectual. The, the drive to be successful work. in yeah. work. Kim Cattrall, Samantha, was the, the sex drive. Uh, Carrie was the neuroses and the overthinking. And Charlotte, she was the, I want to have babies and get married and settle down. You put them all together and they make one woman. Yeah. And this is kind of the same, like, exactly what you were saying. So I think that's right. And, Yeah. Gut, brain, heart, that makes George the... Nervous system. The nervous system, yeah. I think that's mm, exactly correct. I'm fi- I feel like a genius. <laughs> Speaking of Sex in the City, I actually have a note about Sex in the City for this episode because we haven't spoken about the opening titles yet. The reason I bring up Sex in the City in relation to the opening titles is because it's very obvious what they're trying to do with these opening titles. They're like... Here's a shot of surgery and here's something that represents like life, their life outside of the surgical floor. So it's like this show is going to be about surgery and personal life. But the opening titles don't make sense for this show, this Grey's Anatomy that we've got. And I feel like in my notes it says these opening titles make more sense if Carrie from Sex and the City was the main character Because the objects they've put in, like eyelash curlers and high heels and a martini glass, like they have nothing to do with the characters that we have here. It should be like (laughs) a glass of tequila, a dartboard. A beer on the couch. A beer, yeah. They hang out at Joe's bar. They don't hang out at a martini lounge. Yeah, you're so right. I'm so excited for the, the first episode at Joe's bar. Same. I love Joe's bar. So the end of this day finishes with Mare in the change rooms. Alex comes over and is very sexually aggressive towards her and he has her pinned with his arms on either side of her looking for a little bit more and she basically throws him against the lockers, tells him to get the fuck away from her Um, and Derek comes in and sort of backs her up and she just gets mad and storms out Um, and then she gets home to find that Izzy and George have started nesting and unboxing all of her mother's and her family belongings. Which I think is really invasive. I would be furious if people did that with my stuff. Absolutely. Without fail. Yeah. No. It's not theirs to unbox. Like, I know Izzy's being cute and she's like, oh, when I get stressed, I nest and I open little boxes and I make a nice little home. And I understand that for her character. But it's not her stuff. Yeah, if it was your own stuff that you were dotting around the house, I wouldn't have a problem with it. Totally. Or, like, if Izzy went shopping and she bought a few things to, like, you know. Sure homey up the apartment she bought some lamps or bought some throw pillows or whatever Izzy would buy 
I hate throw pillows. I can't believe I actually even said that. So if I had a dozen pillows on my bed and I had to take them off every night, they would just live on the ground. They would now be floor pillows. (laughs) Yes. But anyway, opening boxes that she knows are not even Meredith's. They're Meredith's mother's. And Meredith has already said, no, don't go near my mother's things. Yeah, I would be furious. Absolutely. So the next morning, Meredith is doing what all of us have done a thousand times and is having a right royal bitch about her housemates. They talk about how grateful they are that they, they're friends with each other because they share a deep, dark, twisted place. And I was like, <gasps> the first time it's mentioned. Kick them out. I can't kick them out. They just moved in. I asked them to move in. So what, you're just going to repress everything in some deep, dark, twisted place until one day you snap and kill them? Yep. Yeah, we're really starting to see the Meredith and Christina friendship now, which is so heartwarming and so exciting because they are definitely the most important relationship of this series. It's the most complicated. It's complicated and it's so real. But it's also a platonic love I think that that's that's really important. That's like that's why Frozen was so popular because it wasn't about a man coming in to save the day and the truest love in your life being a romantic partner. It further follows the idea that the truest love of your life can be a platonic love. It gives me the warm and fuzzies. And I think Meredith says that line that is in so many TV shows and probably is played out in real life so many times where she's like, I wish I was a lesbian. Oh, yeah, when he comes up and, and oh, and I, that's what I wanted to mention. Christina's outfit, when they're walking into the hospital, she's wearing those, like, two-tone see-through sunglasses that Anastasia wore and they do absolutely nothing with low-rise jeans and the necklace, and I'm just like, oof. Is this with the tiny scarf as well? She, her scarf is so short. It's shorter than the neckline of her top. Tiny scarf. Yes, she's got a tiny scarf. She's got a dark purple zip-up jumper. What's interesting, actually, is Meredith's kind of got a dark, maybe it's a maroon top and a denim jacket. So they're kind of in a really similar color palette. And then Meredith's got a brown bag. Why is there so much brown? We've talked about this. It was was just the color of the time. Is that right? Because Christina's got some brown cords on. Yeah, and I remember being devastated about it because... I look terrible in that particular colour brown. It's a very specific brown. It's like a dark brown. Yeah, it's like not quite chocolate brown, but then there was also that weird camel colour brown. But this is also why the the opening titles don't make sense for these characters. Like, ne- neither of these women are using eyelash curlers in the morning. No, no. So they're, they're back in. It's It's day two and Izzy has finally found the owner, the, the part, the, the partner of our John Doe, who is named Stephen. For some reason, and it keeps happening with these early episodes, our interns are being put in positions to do things that they really shouldn't be doing for the first time. Yeah. I feel like they should be watching. So Christina is the one who has to have a conversation with the wife about what she's willing to about what organs she's willing to have donated from her husband who's brain dead. And it's Christina having this conversation. And Bailey's in the room. She's watching. Probably in the real world, it would be Bailey having this conversation. Because Christina's just there being like, what about the eyes? Yeah. What about the skin? It's very inappropriate and it feels very uncomfortable watching this scene. But she ends up saying yes to all of it. And it feels more like she's only saying yes because she's getting 
pressure from Christina. It doesn't really feel like she's saying yes because she's okay well, with also, it. Also, speaking of inappropriate, why is her child in the room? Why is her child in the room? She says, like, you want me to have a funeral and have people look at him, have his daughter look at him, and he doesn't have his skin. And the daughter's Comforting there. her mother. I mean, the daughter seems really not really interested in conversation, but she should not be in the room. Um, and Meredith is just sort of meandering around the hospital in the ER and she spots Viper doubled over in pain. So he's back. Well, I think we're supposed to understand that there was – it wasn't just superficial wounds. There was stuff going on internally. And it looks like all of his intestines are trying to fight their way out of his stomach. So Alex was being rash and Alex shouldn't have just pulled the things out without looking. And But she's, she's straddling him on the gurney and Alex is just like following around like a puppy dog wanting to be involved, holding his guts in, taken into surgery. And Bailey does one of my favorite things that Bailey does all the time and just says, all right, someone's going to need to get me a step. (laughs) Poor little Bailey. Um, And then she, she dismisses Alex away and sends him out of the, out of the surgery. And Mayor gets to do something to his insides. And then we head into the harvest surgery. And Burke says a really lovely thing that I think actually resonates with Christina for the first time about this harvest surgery. He says, my job is to save lives. This surgery ends a life. But I think that's important for Christina because I think that sinks in coming from Burke and not. I think Christina automatically assumes that anything coming from another female is automatically going to be emotionally biased. She seems to listen to things that are coming from men who she considers to be more like herself and a lot less feeling. That's a really interesting point. I think she definitely listens to those that she resonates and sees herself in more. She also really respects Burke. I know we haven't seen it too much in the dialogue yet, but I think we do know that the way she acts around Burke and oh yeah, so Weber wakes up Mackie and is like, "Well, that beautiful boy may have found you a liver." Yeah, what a beautiful scene! And then Mackie cries, and it's lovely. So it's very somber when they go in to do the organ harvest, and all of these people from other hospitals are there lined up waiting. And Christina and Izzy have this moment where they're scrubbing in. And Izzy says, I'm, I'm not going to do it. Izzy says, you're better at this than me. Look at the vultures coming to pick him apart. And Christina says, each one of those represents a person who's going to live. Uh, it's really funny. I, I read a bit of a tidbit that the, the last organ to be taken out and given away is actually his heart. But generally in these surgeries, the heart is the first one to go because hearts need to be transported as quickly as possible. And with the stress of all the organs being removed, it'll damage your heart. So that'd be backwards. That'd go first. I would have assumed it was the other way around because the organs need to be the organs need to survive in the body, and as soon as you take away the heart, that's going to mean the organs start dying. Well, that's what I thought as well, but apparently it's no. The hearts and the lungs are the first one to go, huh? Because you can all the heart does is plump blood and oxygen, but there are machines that do those things. Oh yeah, I guess so. There, it's all a medicine. It's crazy. But yeah, so the heart comes out, Dr. Burke leaves, Christina goes to leave, and Izzy is just stuck staring at this body. And Christina asks what she's doing, and she says that she's going to put him back together for the family, which honestly I thought would have been the way it's done anyway. 
Maybe it's not done by surgeons normally. It might be a different team that comes in. Christina succumbs and becomes a bit more of a human and puts them back together. Yeah, I mean, also I think it means they get some practice. What a more live cadaver. (laughs) Then we get a cute little Meredith and Derek scene in the locker room. And the episode wraps up with Meredith coming home to Christina, Izzy and George watching her mum's surgical tapes, eating pizza in the living room, which, again, I'm just going to say, I would be really pissed off that these people went through my mother's things. And not only that, but invited someone else around to look at it as well. Yeah, it's weird. But look, in this context, it feels very warm and fuzzy and Meredith jumps on the couch and joins in. Just as the face peeling starts. Because they're becoming friends. I just love that you completely skipped over the Derek and Meredith in the change room because yet again she says, I am not going out with you. Yeah. And he again says, you say that now. Also, the only compliments that he can give her about why it's not about the chase and why he genuinely likes her is her tiny ineffectual fists and that her hair smells good. Hair smells good. Yep. Be better. They're not the compliments you want. Also, tiny ineffectual fists really feels backhanded. Pun intended. Pun is always intended. It's weird they're the main relationship in the show, apart from Meredith and Christina, but Derek and Meredith are supposed to be this big romantic relationship in the show, yet this scene where he's trying to win her affection by saying her fists are tiny and her hair smells good, whereas we've just seen Meredith be, like, passionately kissed by a patient. It's like that felt more romantic, like a little bit inappropriate, but that scene felt more romantic than and more exciting. One of the most important thing, there's a few really important things that happen in this episode. One, we hear about the dark twisty place. We get an LGBTQI character, but George officially confesses his love for Meredith to Mackie. Officially. It's been hinted at, but like George has a crush on Meredith. Yes. Yes. He said the words. This is it. It's out in the open. Yeah. Important plot point. And yeah, I reckon that's about it for this episode. Yeah, it ends on the note of them all chilling out, being friends on the couch, watching her mother's old surgical tapes and having a laugh and a beer and some pizza. So really looking forward to episode four. Uh, We'll have that out for you all next week. Uh, Thank you to everyone who has listened so far. We are so overwhelmed with all of the downloads we've been seeing and we're glad that it's been enjoyed. If you'd like to track us down on social media, my handle is ms underscore Ayla under Azure on Instagram. And mine is at Miss T Hayes, all the one word, but I'll pop them in the show notes for you. We also have an email address for our show, which is scalpelsandtequila at gmail.com. So yeah, get in touch with us. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for coming along to the Dead Baby Bike Race with us. Bye. Bye. Sing it.